0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Texas's heartbeat law this morning. This, coming one month before the court hears oral arguments in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, that's the case out of Mississippi that directly challenges the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade. Those arguments are scheduled for December the 1st. What was the purpose of today's court hearing? When will the court make an announcement? And could it impact the Dobbs case? We'll talk with one of the attorneys involved in the case, Heather Hacker, who was in the courtroom this morning. Also, President Biden wrapped up the G20 meeting in Rome and hopped to Scotland for the UN's climate summit, where talking green means more than the environment. It also means dollars in lots of them will demonstrate to the world the United States is not only back at the table, but hopefully leading by the power of our example. We'll talk in just a moment with Thomas Cattuccini. He is the energy and environment reporter with The Daily Caller. And what are the likely outcomes of this climate confab? We'll also hear from Texas Congressman Louie Gohmert. We'll get uh, also the latest from him on the report that surfaced last week. The Biden administration is considering settlement payments of up to a million dollars per family for those who were separated while unlawfully entering the United States. That's amazing. And scary news over the weekend for Democrats, according to NBC's Chuck Todd.
0: We have a brand new NBC News poll out this morning that's filled with some scary news for the Democrats. The overarching message... Americans have lost their confidence in President Biden and their optimism for the country.
1: Surprise, surprise. NBC released this poll over the weekend that reveals Americans are not too happy with the direction of the nation. Now, I'm not sure what's more surprising, how upset Americans are or the fact that the legacy media actually released a poll that doesn't reflect well on the administration they helped put in office. We'll talk with uh, Jim Lee, president and CEO of Scottskohana.com. Polling and Research, uh, who has been tracking America's dissatisfaction. And speaking of polling, Democrats appear to be bracing for a loss in Virginia's governor's race, where the latest polls show Republican Glenn Youngkin has taken the lead over Democrat Terry McAuliffe. While there are a host of differences between the two candidates, it appears the education issue has provided one of the sharpest contrasts and is also energizing voters. But the issue is not isolated to Virginia. It's popping up across the nation. We'll talk later with FRC Actions' Brent Kylan about how education is driving engagement all across America. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If uh, you're on Gab, it's uh, at Tony Perkins. All right. World leaders kicked off their two-day climate confab in uh, Glasgow today and were urged by U.S. President Joe Biden to launch a, quote, decade of transformative action to fight climate change, which he called an existential threat to human existence as we know it. Here to tell us uh, more about uh, what the president had to say overseas is Thomas Cattaccini. He is an uh, in, in energy and environment reporter at The Daily Caller who has been reporting on the Climate Change Summit. Thomas, welcome to Washington Watch.
2: Thank you for having me, Tony.
1: So what were your key takeaways from the president's remarks today?
2: Well, I, I think the key takeaways um, were, number one, um, Uh, just the setting in general, right? Uh, The president has to look around and recognize that, um, number one, China's not there, and number two, Russia's not there. They sent foreign ministers, um, and, you know, it's kind of a slap in the face, um, quite frankly. But in in terms of what the president said, you know, it's more of the same uh, of what we've come to expect from the president, from this administration, a lot of platitudes, but very little, um, specific actions. Um, and a lot of, I think people will, will see the speech and, and just, you know, it's more of the same. It could have been a written statement like the Chinese president decided or a video statement as the Russian president decided. Um, but again, it's, it's a lot of platitudes. Um, it's a lot of promising, um, big action. Um, but it's very easy for, uh, President Biden to, to promise these types of, Uh, these types of things and proposals, uh, because he knows it will be a very easy political win. Um, And at the end of the day, no one's really going to hold him uh, to account.
1: But he didn't have anything in hand because Congress is yet to pass his reconciliation bill, which has a lot of his green spending in it. Did he did he mention dollar amounts as he stood before uh, these other nations?
2: Well, there was no talk of real dollar amounts. What we know is from the framework um, in the current budget proposal, um, which is not really even, no one's really sure how, how far this is going to make it. But the latest proposal has about a half a trillion, just about $550 billion in um, what Democrats say are clean energy proposals. Um, and then the president has, uh, in his speech to the UN a couple of months ago, he promised about $11 billion in uh, aid to developing nations to um, expand their clean energy and green energy. Um, But again, that's that's money that's not backed by Congress. um, And the framework is money that uh, sounds great on the surface, but there's very little detail, very little specifics uh, for where that money is going. And we're not even sure, especially in light of with Senator Manchin said today, we're not sure if that proposal is even going to have any um, any sort of momentum or legs moving forward.
1: Thomas, uh, final question for you. The, the president kind of intertwining his legacy with this issue of uh, taking on the climate, given his track record of not being able to get much through in his first nine months, is this a risky move for him?
2: I think it's risky. Um, I think that would be a fair assessment. I, I think that the president didn't quite foresee um, how um, this this whole issue would play out, right? Um, in Europe, in Asia, and even now, we're starting to see in the U.S. Um, what has been called an energy crisis by the administration themselves. Um, we see rising gas prices, rising coal prices um, in China, uh, rising oil prices around the world. So leaders at this summit are trying to balance now these lofty um, you know, ambitions in terms of emissions reductions and energy policies with the needs of their own citizens. So um, often you'll see um, you know, a lot of promises in terms of clean energy, but then when you actually look at the actions of a lot of leaders, especially in Europe now, they're actually turning to uh, fossil fuels because they know that's what's needed to keep energy prices down. And in China, you know, this conversation just cannot be, be had without focusing on China. They right. emit more than any other country in the world, um, and most of their energy is produced through coal, which is the dirtiest type of energy. Um, and so the fact that the president of China is not even at this conference kind of says it all, in my opinion.
1: I mean, in, in many ways, Thomas, is this not like us tying our hand behind our back in a competition in the global economy?
2: It really is. Um, and it's going to ultimately hurt a lot of Americans. Um, and it's going to ultimately hurt a lot of uh, jobs in this country. Um, we're basically outsourcing all of those energy jobs that were created um, over the last 10 years or so. And we're outsourcing them to, uh, to Russia and to the Middle East. Um, and, and that absolutely cannot be overlooked. The fact that the Biden administration is on one hand going to this conference and making all these lofty um, you know, promises with world leaders about solar, wind, hydrogen. It all sounds great. But then on the other hand, they're going to OPEC and they're going to Russia and saying, right. we beg you to produce right. more because they know at the end of the day to keep prices down, they have to do that. So the, the fossil fuels have to come from somewhere.
1: Right. Thomas Canacci, Canacci, thank you so much for uh, joining us. I appreciate your uh, your thoughts on this today and your insight. Thank you. All right. I mean, it doesn't take much. All you have to do is fill up at the pump, and you realize that this uh, p- the policy of this administration is not working. I mean, gas prices have more than doubled. And as, uh, as Thomas said, uh, the administration going to OPEC, trying to get them to, uh, to pump more oil, when we had what we needed right here for the first time uh, in decades, America was not only energy independent, but we were exporting energy. Now we're back to having to go overseas to some of those who don't have our best interest at heart with handout, asking for help to get the oil we need to keep our economy moving. Doesn't make any sense at all. Well, the, uh, on top of this, the Wall Street Journal reported late last week that the Biden administration is considering paying out hundreds of thousands of dollars to migrant families who were separated at the southern border during the Trump administration. Though the amount paid to each family reportedly would depend upon the circumstances of their separation, with more than 940 claims and multiple lawsuits filed, this could reach, uh, I mean, it's going to be billions of dollars in total. Joining me now to talk about this is Congressman Louis Gohmert. He's a member of the House Judiciary Committee. He represents the 1st District of the Lone Star State. Congressman Louis Gohmert, welcome back to the program.
3: Always oh, good to be with you. Thanks, Tony.
1: I just I have heard from so many people this weekend as I've been in different places. This is the first topic of conversation. We're talking about giving roughly four hundred fifty thousand dollars to those who were separated at the border, who came across the border illegally.
3: Yeah, that's that's what the Biden administration is talking about. And to put that in a little bit of perspective. Of course, uh, when our military members are killed in combat their family is given $400,000 in insurance, and Congress upped it to get it to that amount. Uh, So this will be giving people that broke our laws, came into the country illegally, were separated from the children. And if you go back, some of those children that came in were not with parents. They were with sex traffickers. And it was very important that we make sure that They were with a parent. And so these are are things that should be checked. And then another part, I was just looking at the uh, average income for last year. Social Security Administration says last year, the latest we have figures for, the average uh, income was $53,000. If you say that they paid 20% of that $53,000, which is actually a little high, uh, in income tax or federal income tax, it would take 42 and a half years of that wage earner paying all of their federal tax to just pay for the $450,000 to one person. And I'm hearing from an awful lot of people, Tony, that don't want all of their taxes going to pay for one person that broke our immigration laws and had that happen for 42 and a half years. It is ridiculous, it's outrageous, and it is not something that we ought to be agreeing to. That's just ridiculous.
1: Um, we're up against a break, Congressman Gomer uh, Final question for you, can Congress stop this? Don't, doesn't, but, it, doesn't Congress have the purse strings?
3: We do have the purse strings, but the president has Uh, a lot of money that he can play with and do things that Congress would not approve of. But uh, if we were doing the right thing by the country, we would step in and stop this man before he does anything more stupid to hurt the country. And by the way, you were talking to the G20 summit. The first statement he made was how sorry he was that he was 20 minutes late because uh, the elevators were such a problem.
1: That's our top executive. Louis Gohmert, always great to talk with you. We're going to track this, and as we find more information about what the administration is actually proposing, we'll have you uh, back on to talk with us about it. Folks, don't call away. We're going to go to the Supreme Court next after this.
4: With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742
0: and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's Word, we've launched Pray, Vote, Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, from October 6th through the 8th for the Prayvote Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808
5: more than ever before christians need to be grounded in the truth of god's word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner that is why family research council has launched the center for biblical worldview by applying the bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues including voting religious liberty abortion marriage and sexuality the experts at the center have provided resources to help christians live by a biblical worldview to understand why Scripture must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square, access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org/worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org/subscriptions.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, today, our nation's highest court heard oral arguments in uh, two of three major abortion-related cases that uh, they'll hear this term. This could be the most consequential year for pro-life Americans in uh, more than a generation, going all the way back to 1973 when the court legalized abortion in Roe v. Wade. Now, the justices heard from attorneys arguing over Texas' Senate Bill 8, That's also known as the heartbeat law, which is in place. And one of these cases was uh, Whole Women's Health versus Jackson and the second, the United States versus Texas. Now, the third abortion related case I mentioned earlier is Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization. That'll be heard uh, one month from today, actually December the 1st. Joining me now to talk about today's oral arguments is Heather Hacker. She was she is a partner of Hacker Stevens, LLP and is representing one of the intervener respondents in the U.S. versus Texas case. Uh, Heather, welcome to Washington Watch.
6: Thank you for having me, Mr. Perkins. Glad to be here. Uh,
1: Heather, can you explain kind of what took place today? This case kind of jumped up ahead of some of the other cases before the Supreme Court. So what was in question before the court today with the Texas
0: case?
6: So, the funny thing is that these cases um, do involve an abortion law, but um, they actually, the abortion issue is actually sort of tangential to both of these cases. Um, both of these cases were up, um, and the questions involved um, very technical, legal, procedural issues, um, sort of threshold issues in um, that relate to the court's power to actually hear or entertain these particular lawsuits because... The law is um, fairly different from any other law that's been passed, and so the lawsuits that were brought um, raise sort of unique questions as to the court's power to hear these particular cases and the court's power to actually issue relief and against which government official, if any.
1: So this really didn't go to the heart of the issue of the constitutionality of Roe. It was more of the, as you said, kind of the side issues of of what standing this, the Department of Justice has to go after the state of Texas. In fact, the Solicitor General, uh, Judge Stone from uh, Texas, argued. Uh, that the the, um, Justice Department had no authority to pursue the case against Texas's heartbeat law because they keep going and trying to intervene. I have a a clip I'd like to play of him today, Uh, the audio clip number six,
0: please. The United States cannot seriously assert that the Constitution requires free enforcement federal judicial review. It opposes that result in virtually every other case. This court should reject its request for a special forum, remedy, and cause of
1: action for this case alone. So explain to our listeners what was going on there.
6: So that was part of the argument in the United States versus Texas case. And so um, the United States is arguing in that case that because Texas passed a law that they believe violates the Constitution and um, the plaintiffs in the Holloman's Health case, had difficulty obtaining relief, um, that means that the United States can come in and sue the state of Texas directly, um, which normally litigants are not allowed to do, but it's different for the United States. Um, So the United States argued that they could come in and sue Texas directly um, to stop what they believe is an an unconstitutional law. And so what Judd was talking about um, in that clip that you played was the question of whether it's a constitutional right to actually have pre-enforcement review of a situation where you feel like your your rights are being violated. And um, he was pointing out the inconsistency in the United States position because the United States generally takes the position that pre-enforcement review in court um, is not a right and is not always guaranteed. Um, certain, you know, certainly um, pre-enforcement challenges. And so that, just to clarify that, that's um, before you've been accused of violating the law, you bring it an action to to stop any action being taken against you under that law. And so um, there are certain circumstances where, yes, you can do that, um, but you have to be able to find the person who's going to enforce the law against you. Because a major misconception that a lot of people have about the way the law works is that courts do not enjoin laws, they enjoin people, um, specifically Mm -hmm. government officials who enforce the law.
1: And because there's no government actor in the Texas law, it's private action that's being taken. It's kind of turned things on its head. So we have the Texas law is in place. The Department of Justice has been back and forth in court trying to stop it. They get a favorable court, get a decision. But then Texas goes back and and the law remains in place. So what is the time frame that we expect to hear from the Supreme Court on this case? And what could be the outcome of it?
6: So this case has been highly expedited. Um, I'm sure that you've been aware the the briefing schedule and the um, the when the oral argument was scheduled was faster than any case, I think, besides Bush v. Gore. Um, it so it was very fast. Um, I would expect the court probably to make a decision quickly. Um, how quickly? I'm not sure. Um, I would say probably more quickly than they normally make their decisions. So, um, you know, normally in their in their big cases at the court, um, those big decisions tend to come out at the end of the term in June. Um, I would expect this this decision to come out well before that.
1: Will this have any bearing, or could it have any bearing on the Dobbs case, where they'll that case which they take up on December the first?
6: So I don't expect this case to have any impact on Dobbs, but Dobbs could have an impact on this case. And that's because, you know, once we, once the courts um, wade through all of the novel procedural issues at play in the Holman's Health case and the United States case, um, then the courts would reach the question of whether this law is constitutional on its merits. And that, of course, depends on whether or not, um, you know, it will certainly be influenced by... Um, whether the court changes the abortion standard in the Dobbs case. So, um, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see whether they rule on these cases before they rule on the Dobbs case or or whether they'll wait. My guess is they'll probably rule on these cases first, um, at least in this procedural posture.
1: Yeah, fascinating. Um, Heather, I wish we had more time to talk because I've got a lot more questions. But I want to thank you for joining us today and for your insight and helping to explain this.
6: Thank you
1: for having me. All right, Heather Hacker was in the courtroom uh, today. All right, coming up next, um, how many Americans believe the country is on the wrong track? Well, the number's pretty high. We're gonna talk about it next. Don't go away.
6: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the app store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app.
7: Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start, or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's word by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible.
0: Welcome back
1: to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, the website TonyPerkins.com. All right, mark this uh, date down, November the 28th. I'll tell you more about it uh, later, but go ahead and mark it down. Write it down, November 28th. You won't want to miss what we'll be doing that night. All right, it should come as no surprise that President Biden's approval rating continues to flounder amid all the self-inflicted crises that have been plaguing the Biden administration. But a poll released by NBC News over the weekend marks a new low for the president. According to the poll, 71% of Americans say they believe the country is headed in the wrong direction. That's up eight points since August. And if you think that survey may be a fluke, well, my next guest will tell you otherwise. He's been tracking it. Join me now is Jim Lee. He's president and CEO and founder of Susquehanna uh, Polling and Research, which uh, conducted a similar survey last month. Uh, Jim, welcome to the program.
8: Happy to be with you, Tony. Uh,
1: did that number surprise you, 71% saying America's headed in the wrong direction?
8: Well, it really it really doesn't. Um, that number tracks very closely with Biden's approval rating. And as his approval rating has gone down, the percentage of Americans who say the country's going on the wrong path has gone up. So there's a strong correlation between the two.
1: I mean I guess I was surprised not at the how high the number was but the fact that NBC News actually released the poll. I mean this is legacy media that helped put this administration in place but uh, in this uh, poll uh, when you look at the cross tabs 93% of republicans say the nation's headed on the wrong tr- on the wrong track 70% of independents and 48% of democrats man this administration's in trouble
8: Yeah, and um, I think what's astounding about the the wrong track number is it almost matches two all-time highs that I've tracked historically. The high watermark for the wrong track was October 2008, a month before President Obama became president. And what was significant about that year is we had just experienced a major collapse of the financial industry, In September, a month before that poll came out, when the market dropped by 777 points. So the numbers we see in the current polling are getting exceedingly high and dangerously close to the all-time high-wrong track, which is not good news for this incumbent president. Any way you cut it, he is not in a good place right now. We see a lot of factors converging around that high-wrong track right now, dissatisfaction with the job he's doing internationally, concern about rising gas prices and inflation, handling of the pullout from Afghanistan. All these factors are contributing to a president that now has an approval rating nationwide, Tony, of 43 percent. That puts him on track to be basically where Truman was after his first term in office at 45 percent.
1: So when you look at these over time, Jim, when you look at Americans saying we're on the wrong track, how intertwined is that with the economy?
8: Very closely intertwined, intertwined, Tony. Wrong track voters are, by their very nature, dissatisfied with the status quo. And when we look at them as a crosstab, we find they're more likely to vote for the party out of power and very, very sympathetic to the message from an opposing political party, which of course is the Republican message right now, which is, if you're happy with the direction of the economy, by all means, vote for Tony uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe in tomorrow's Virginia governor's race. Vote for Murphy in New Jersey. Um, stay with the party in power. But that's not what we're seeing. These wrong track voters are ripe for the picking for the well, Republican I mean, Party and very much in tune with um, making a it, change.
1: What the Democrats have to hope is that the voters don't have to fill up their car on the way to the polling station uh, because, I mean, gas prices have nearly doubled since this administration has come in. that's hitting the bottom line. We're seeing the, the inflated uh, cost. We're seeing uh, the, the issue of inf- inflation in general uh, commodities are going up. I mean, we're seeing all of these things. And and these things, from what I've heard from economists, these aren't going to be corrected overnight. So what impact is this going to have on the 2022 midterm elections?
8: Well, probably a pretty profound impact because there's very low GDP growth. We just saw the third quarter numbers come out. They were abysmally low, below every projection that was estimated by top-rated economists, um, There's certainly uh, a case to be made that, that Biden could turn things around, but it looks like the die is cast. Um, he has become an unpopular messenger for his own message, and I think that regardless of what happens with his Build Back America plan and his infrastructure plan, he is now toxic. Even new polling that's come out this week shows a plurality of Democrats, Tony, a plurality of Democrats in the country say they'd rather take their chances with the new nominee for president in 2024. That is absolutely. Wow.
1: That's, that's bad. If you're yeah, president, that's, Biden. Absolutely. Especially just nine months into uh, to a term. Uh, Jim Lee, we're out of time, but very quickly, one last question for you. Could these numbers go higher of discontent?
8: You know, if the uh, COVID pandemic does not continue to see numbers that are abating, if uh, fourth quarter GDP continues to underperform, they certainly can go higher. Um, This president seems to be in denial, and uh, his message certainly needs a major correction.
0: Jim
1: Lee, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to uh, visiting again soon. Folks, stick with us. Frank. Uh, Brent Kylan is with me talking about polling. We're going to look at the latest polling out of Virginia in that governor's race next. Don't go away.
4: Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? Specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit
0: frc.org internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at standcourageous.com. With tech censorship
4: on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, I I told you to write down this date, November the 28th. That's a Sunday. Sunday night, 7 p.m., November the 28th, Praying Together for Life. We're going to have a nationwide event, and you can participate in it. We're going to have more details in the days ahead, but go ahead and write this down, 7 p.m. Central Time. It's going to be coming to you live from Jackson, Mississippi. We're going to be at a church in Jackson, Mississippi, which is the epicenter of this Dobbs case. And uh, as I said, I'll have more information about the uh, various participants. It'll be a 90-minute program. You will not want to miss it. It is a prayer night. It is from coast to coast, border to border, praying together for life. Again, that's November the 28th. I'll have more information for you. But go ahead and write down that date. Mark it on your calendars. You'll want to be a part of it. Tomorrow night, the political world will have its eyes on the state of Virginia, where off-year gubernatorial elections have often been a pretty good barometer for the midterm elections. Republican candidate Glenn Youngkin has continued to gain in the polls in the last couple of weeks, now overtaking Democrat Terry McAuliffe, who's becoming desperate. Uh, The latest polls have uh, Glenn Youngkin ahead by two points. It's not just the support, but the intensity of the support that is making the biggest difference. And guess what issue is driving it? If you said education and the indoctrination that is going on in America's classrooms, you would be correct. But despite the evidence that would suggest that McCulloch and the Democrats are out of step with the public, he's doubling down. McCulloch is claiming that the outrage over radical curricula and the indoctrination in schools is, well, barring a line from uh, former President Obama, manufactured. Listen to this. They're using children as political pawns. I was in Hampton last night. I met a school board member, said our school boards were fine. As soon as Glenn Youngkin got nominated, all of a sudden these people started showing up, creating such a ruckus. (laughs) So Glenn Youngkin has parents all across America showing up, creating... A ruckus. Right. Well, joining me now to talk about the Virginia gubernatorial election and how the education issue has been uh, shaping this race is Brent Kylan. He's the vice president of FRC Action. Brent, welcome back. Thank you,
9: Tony. Good to be with you.
1: So uh, Glenn Youngkin has uh, stirred up all these parents and everything was fine in public education until he started to run for governor. Now he has parents showing up creating a ruckus at school board meetings.
9: Yeah, Tony, those those um, comments are just very concerning. It really ignores some very valid concerns of the parents. Um, another clip uh, of Terry McAuliffe from last week, he was asked by a major news outlet if you do win this race for governor how would you work with those parents that do have concerns over what is being taught? And uh, he did not answer that question. He immediately pivoted to um, a clip very similar to uh, to what we just saw, saying um, this is phony, this is manufactured. And then he said this is uh, kind of uh, similar to what we've seen in previous elections and the, uh, the MS-13 gang issue, which is kind right. of a bizarre uh, comparison uh, and did not answer the question. And um, so it's it's quite something. um, Parents are very concerned about this issue, Tony. And as you said, it's become a top issue. They have a lot of reasons to be very concerned about the education issue in Virginia.
1: You know, I find it interesting because we've you know, I've I've had conversations with uh, Glenn Youngkin, and I think he's doing a good job I, I think he tapped into the angst over public education, although he was already talking about it in his platform from a standpoint of parental choice, because I think uh, in the entire state of Virginia, I think they have maybe nine charter schools, and he's saying he wants to expand that number. That number, I could be off by one or two, but it's a very, very small number. And, and, and that was really the degree until really what blew up in Loudoun County was the this uh, sexual assault by a biological boy wearing a skirt in the girl's bathroom and then the school board covering it up. Now, the parents had been on this for several months now, uh, but all of this has just come to light in the last couple of weeks. And during this time is when Glenn Youngkin's numbers have gone up, because I think you're right. This issue is uh, and I guess you can tell us from the polling data, where does this issue? We we're just talking about with G- Jim Lee about the Americans who see the country on the wrong track and the economy being so intertwined with that perspective. But it's not the economic issues that are
9: driving voter participation and angst in Virginia. It's the education issue. Tony, that's exactly right. We have some recent numbers, uh, even from just the last couple of days, that are saying exactly what you're saying. And we have two trends here. We have, as you've discussed, the Glenn Youngkin surge. If you look even just a couple months ago, Youngkin was consistently down by about six points in the polls. That gap has consistently closed. Now we have uh, a number of polls uh, in recent days having him up. One poll had as much, him up by as, as much. Many has eight points. Most of the other ones say he's up by one or two, but just uh, an incredible surge on his part. And at that same exact time, we've had a surge on the education issue as well. And uh, and if you look at this, Tony, we we recently had a poll uh, just last week come out from Washington Post, and um, they are saying in their polling education has now become the top issue for Virginia voters. And and to put that in context, um, even in light of, you know, some of the, the previous interviews on the show today, this is on the same list as a COVID response and the economy, two issues we know are very important to everybody across the country. So, the fact that education has overtaken those as the top issue is very significant. Washington Post has pulled this race earlier, and um, that issue has jumped nine points. Over just the past month or two. So a nine point jump in in that amount of time is very, very significant. Again, it's significant that it's that it's even more important than covid and economy, which we know are are very important issues. And then if you look down at some other polling on this issue, uh, Fox News, if you look at at some of their uh, some of their analysis, voters likely voters in Virginia are now saying that they trust Glenn Youngkin more on this issue, that the historical narrative has often been that this issue favors Democrats. Over Republicans. Right. It's actually the data is showing um, voters are, are are favoring Youngkin on this issue. And then, Tony, get this. When you look at parents specifically, OK, these are the people that have have students in the school system. Right. If you look at the recent switch, according to the the uh, the Fox polling, I was I was a little bit blown away by this. You don't see this very much in the most recent Fox News poll. Likely voters. Who are also parents say they are they are are supporting Yunkin by twelve points, fifty six to forty four percent. That same Fox News poll back in October. So this is an apples to apples comparison. Just back in October, was favoring McAuliffe fifty three to forty three percent. So that's over a twenty point swing by parents in Virginia who are voting in about a month. That's, those are just almost unheard of numbers. And uh, this education issue really is, is uh, driving Glenn Youngkin's surge in Virginia right now. Well,
1: let's talk about that for a moment. You just made a, a comment in passing. I want to make sure people heard this. Uh, generally speaking, the issue of education does not benefit Republican candidates. This is a kind of a government you know we want to improve education. we want to put more money into education, and so that usually uh, with the ed- with the education lobby goes to the democratic side of the political uh, ledger. But in this case we 're talking about what 's been happening since parents discovered. Through COVID, through the, the, the Zoom classes, what their children were being exposed to, the CRT, and then what we've seen out in Loudoun County, this gender insanity
9: that is putting children at risk. That's right, Tony. And, and there's the Virginia context. And there's also the national context. Like you said, um, critical race theory. You know, nationally, we saw just um, a lot of energy this year. Uh, people getting involved, holding school boards accountable. We've seen a, a couple of uh, school board members recently uh, kind of forced to uh, to resign over this issue. Um, efforts. To recall, school board members nationally is um, is historically high this year. I mean, just off the charts. If you look at the numbers, so we had that. Then we had the issue of you know the FBI saying you know parents showing up, uh, we're, we're gonna you know uh, label them as domestic terrorists. That whole thing. So that that was some national fuel. But then in Virginia specifically, we have what's happened in you know in Loudoun County um, with the. Uh, with the the multiple allegations of sexual assault uh, by a bi- biological uh, male on female students there. And uh, and then the Loudoun County School Board, that it was an issue even before that came to light. And so um, both of those, I think, have been significant factors on making this issue the top issue that it has become. I, I, I want to go back to the uh, to the
1: macro to the national impact of this issue and where it stands. But first, I, I want to go back to Virginia, because tomorrow is election day in Virginia. Now, uh, over the weekend, I think yesterday, early voting ended in Virginia. They had 45 days of uh, early voting. That was under kind of the new uh, election laws put in place by Democrats to make it uh, easier to vote. So far, the latest numbers I saw that a little over a million of the state's uh, almost six million voters had uh, cast early ballots. Now, they say that's sharply down from the early votes in last year's presidential election, but still higher than what they saw before changing the law to make it easier to vote uh, in early voting. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Brent, Previously, you had to have, uh, you know, an excuse or justification to vote early. Now you can just show up and vote. So that's really apples and oranges that you're comparing. Uh, I guess the best comparison is with last year's presidential election. That's a pretty significant drop in early voting. And that tends to Early voting tends to benefit Democrats more than Republicans. Am I correct?
9: You're absolutely correct, Tony. Um, you're right. We've we've seen over a million uh, people vote early in in Virginia, and uh, yeah, it's way up over 2017, the last governor's uh, race. But as you point out, the laws have changed significantly since then. But yeah, it's down over 60 percent. From last year, which is which is significant. Now, we wouldn't expect it to be as high as last year, you know, given it was a a presidential election. I don't think anybody was anticipating it being down over sixty percent. Now, if you look at the data, the drill down, some of the analytics, some some uh, some groups have put together on uh, early voting. Some of the trends are are very interesting. Now, it is it has been dominated uh, by people who um, who uh, affiliate with the Democrat Party. Actually, fifty three percent of those who have early voted um, are 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 affiliated with Democrats. That's not really surprising. Um, but if you look look at some of the other numbers, Um, I I think one of the ones that was significant is voter frequency. Um, 84% of the people who have voted already are are frequent voters or or fairly frequent voters. What that means is the majority of people who have voted are people that typically vote anyway. And so uh, uh, election day voting, Almost always favors um, Republicans, uh, Trump won the election day voting in Virginia by about twenty five percent So if you look at the the fact that most of these voters are already frequent voters, a lot of people think that 's actually a, a favorable sign towards Republicans because it means that that the Democrat voters who are likely to show up, most of them have already done so obviously it 's all going to come down to who actually shows up right. tomorrow. And what we're seeing
1: in the polling, and, of course, the polling is one thing. It's what's happened, what happens at the ballot box that really matters. So, folks, I want to encourage you, and we've got listeners in Virginia, if you've not voted, go and vote. Vote your biblical values. Vote for the candidate who is most clearly going to stand for truth and for those things that you care about based upon biblical principles. Um What we see in this uh, this turnout is usually intensity and the intensity is clearly on the side of Glenn Youngkin and
9: not Terry McAuliffe. That's right, Tony. Um, the people who are very energized, who say they're very excited about uh, participating in this election, most of the recent polling has given Glenn Youngkin a significant edge, which is very, very important. Um, that's another you know, another big advantage for him. And I'll also mention, uh, Tony, if you haven't voted yet, if you're in Virginia or there are other, you know, a few other uh, states around the country, elections around the country, some local school boards or or, or courts or or what have you, we do have some voter guides and voter materials at frcaction.org. You can find your, your personalized voter guide there if we're covering your race, which we are in in Virginia, New Jersey, and a number of other states. So if you need those resources, you haven't voted yet, please be sure to visit uh, frcaction.org and get that information. All right. Brent Kylan,
1: FRC Action, uh, we're out of time. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. We'll have to talk uh... The other topics a little bit later. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you. I I would just say, folks, that this education issue is a is a huge issue. And the in the 23 states that allow for the recall of school board members, 84 campaigns are targeting 215 school board members. That's four times greater than the 15 year average. So this is a big issue, and it's going to play out into the midterm elections. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul. Found in Ephesians 6 where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.